Hello and welcome to Maine Education Matters. I'm Matt Drewett Card. I'm hosting today. Thank you very much for listening, for joining, and for subscribing with us and sticking around, following us along. Our faithful 17 listeners, we love you. Thank you so very much again. Um, in this weird time, as we're getting ready to go from the 129th legislative body to the 130th legislative body, there's not a whole lot happening in the legislature. Something's happening here and there, but not a whole heck of a lot because everyone's just kind of waiting to see what happens on or a little bit after November the 3rd, because there's a big election coming up this year. So if you haven't already, go and vote. You can vote early. You can vote absentee. You can go to vote on the day if you want to as well. Um, I've heard some people say things like uh, vote early and vote often. I would recommend and, and agree with the first part of that sentiment, but not the second part. Let's make sure all voices and all votes are counted. So what I'm going to do today is just a kind of a quick overview of some updates, some things that have happened in the Department of Education and from Governor Mills's office and uh, things that are happening that are going to be coming forward um, that may have either slipped past or gone overseen. But I'm sure that a lot of you know many of this stuff, but let's just go on some updates of what's been happening. Uh, very, just do a brief overview of what I'm going to be talking about today. So if you know this stuff, this is an opportunity for you to say, oh, great, I don't have to listen, which you don't have to listen anyway. I appreciate that you do. Don't know why you do, but I appreciate that you do. Um, but anyway, here's the list of things we're going to talk about. I'm going to talk about go over very quickly today. A brand new COVID-19 toolkit available from Maine DOE. How the USDA is extending school meal flexibilities and what that means for Maine schools and learners. Uh, Governor Mills' executive order number 14 and the use of CRF funds for buses. We're going to talk about MLTI 2.0. Uh, how the general plan for that has been released and a quick update on the Moose platform. So let's get into it with the COVID-19 toolkit. This is a one-stop shop of COVID-19 resources and guidance for main districts and schools. That's not my language. That's what it says right there on the website. The best way to get there to go to main.gov slash DOE and there'll be a big link that says uh, COVID-19 toolkit. What it has is it has a bunch of different resources for everything and anything that district schools are pretty much going to need at this point for information and supports regarding everything COVID-19 from identifying COVID-19 symptoms. They have the pre-screening tool that's just recently been updated as well in many different languages available. Resources for schools with positive cases, resources for students, families, and communities, school health resources, uh, masks, distancing, and hand hygiene, a lot of printables and posters and things to put up and add and share, trainings and professional development. So it, 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 is, a, it is a resource that's available to all schools, and I'm not sure if people know that it ex exists. They had a, you know, or have a COVID-19 uh, resources page, which is in general, but they've also created this new toolkit, which again, for if you're just looking for the resources, you don't want to deal with things like all the updates and all that other stuff that might come around that you just want to see the tools and the resources, they've narrowed it down into uh, one particular place. Uh, and so just go there, main.gov slash DOE, and you'll be able to find the COVID-19 uh, toolkit. It's, uh, it's good. It's got a lot of stuff in there, and I would highly recommend people look at it. All right, let's move on. In an, a, uh, on October 13th, 2020, there was a DOE priority notice that was sent out to anyone who 
watches those things, reads those things, or to everyone really, where it says that the USDA uh, extends school meal flexibilities through 2020-21 school year, and there'll be a webinar available, but by the time you hear this, that webinar will have been uh, passed. So the state, uh, quote, the state of Maine has accepted 12 waiver extensions from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, allowing for continued flexibilities in the federal summer food service program, seamless summer option uh, programs through the 2020-21 school year. Now, what does this all mean? Uh, in, in summary, quote, all Maine children 18 and younger can apply to have a breakfast and lunch at no charge through the school in their community. Families interested in applying can do so by contacting the local school and complete a meal benefit application. So in other words, uh, kids can eat food and they can eat food for free. And that's a good thing. So in this time where we have so much unemployment, we have so much uncertainty, there's already a high level of food insecurity in this in our state, I believe uh, Maine might be one of, is, or is the, has the highest level of food insecurity in the New England area, in the New England region. So this is in, an incredibly great idea or uh, and resource for us to have, to be able to make sure that our kids can get the food that they need. And I know a lot of districts are doing really in, inventive and um, innovative things in terms of making sure that all kids, including those kids who are families who are choosing a full remote option are still having access to the food benefits, to the food needs, to make sure that food insecurities are not happening. Uh, kudos for this decision, in my opinion, because um, we can't do any kind of actual quote, teaching and learning if you know kids are hungry. I know what it feels like to be hangry. You know, I've I've, I've been that place in my life before, and uh, I can't imagine trying to get work done or trying to trying to be like present in in a meeting or like on a Zoom call or something if I'm hangry. So this is a fantastic option and it's a fantastic resource to make sure that our kids have the ability to have food and to um, stave off that level of food insecurity. So there we go. Next, uh, there's a uh, main uh, DOE priority notice sent out on October 7th, um, which was to an update regarding the governor's executive order number 14 and the CRF funds for bus purchases. All right, let's talk first about Executive Order 14. Uh, quote, on Tuesday, October 6th, Governor Janet Mills announced that Maine is entering stage four of our reopening plan, uh, providing updated language on mask wearing and indoor space gathering capacity. All right, I'm gonna read basically the summaries here because I'm not gonna go into the executive order. Don't need to do all that. You can find it online. But here's some of the major things that changed. Beginning on Tuesday, October 13th, quote, indoor group size limits will increase from the current 50 people to a maximum of 100 people in any one area, room, or space, which is up to 50% capacity of the room or 100 in total, whichever is fewer. Now, a lot of people might stop reading right there because they'll see, oh, it went from 50 to 100. Great, we can add more people in. We can do that. Oh, but there's a little caveat, and it's an important caveat. This expansion, quote, this expansion of allowable capacity only applies where people are still able to maintain distancing and and only in situations where seating is provided and people are required to be seated. So this isn't a situation where you can just have a, an indoor space and everyone stands around. It has to be, they're required to be seated. That's where you can do this 100 grouping. So you have to have a space big enough. And they make mention that you can do things like if cafeterias can be open more, as long as you can, uh, everyone is seated, masks are worn, physical distancing is maintained. So they said you can do it, but only can done in areas or situations where people are seated 
and everything else can be done. So if you have that kind of space in your facilities, good for you, make sure you use it. Not sure how many people do, but that might be a variable. Um, so if not everyone will be seated, quote, the 50 person indoor gather limit applies. So it's kind of like they said, yeah, open up, you can do it. But if you can't, you can't. Only do it if you meet these particular requirements and if you can't stay where you're at. Um, I fully anticipate that from this, most districts and schools and places will be like, well, um, we've already kind of planned for this 50 people thing. So we can change along the way, but we're gonna kind of keep going that because it might, it, it's better to err on the side of caution than on the side of just convenience. That seems to be a common discussion that happens across this country right now, convenience versus uh, caution. Anyway, uh, cloth face coverings that cover nose and mouth are recommended for children ages two and four and are required for all people age five and up in school setting. That is no change. Uh, face coverings, cloth face masks must be worn in all publicly accessible areas of schools and everywhere on the school grounds. That includes par parking lots, playgrounds, walkways, entryways, etc. And it goes into some exceptions because there are always exceptions to every rule as a, a colleague and former uh, professor of mine once said, uh, every generalization is false in the specific, which he was just being hoity-toity and fancy with his language, meaning that every generalization has the, uh, every, general, uh, every exception has, every, there's a rule, oh my gosh, maybe I can talk sometimes. There's an exception to every rule which we all know is true. So, but that's, but that's all like, yeah, there's exceptions, but you know, here they are and be smart about it. Just do the, do the right thing. It's not that hard. All right. So that's the updates to the uh, executive order regarding uh, space and people in settings. Not much has changed in terms of face masks, um, but it is more clarifying that just, just, just wear them. If you're in a school grounds, you wear a face mask. Yes, there will be times and places for mask breaks. Of course, you don't have to wear them all the time and have your kids wear them every second of the day. But the vast majority of the time, they have to wear them. That's the, that's the general rule. All right, now let's talk about bus, oh, everyone's favorite topic, school bus purchases. Um, because a lot of districts have been using the coronavirus relief funds or CRF funds for uh, school bus purchases. Quote, each year the MDOE supports S, uh, SAUs with bus purchases through the school funding formula. The process for approving can be uh, reviewed on page three of the school funding formula webpage. And approval for purchasing of school buses is completed through a three-year process. Okay. Each year the department receives more requests for funding than the department can fulfill. And in some cases, school administrative units may have budgeted to purchase a school bus as part of their local budget process and applied for state funding. In many instances, local budgets need to be passed prior to confirmation from the state that the SAU is approved for funding. So if a school administrative unit meets the following three criteria, the locally budgeted bus purchase may be included in the SAU's CRF application. Just to be, be clear, we, we got the updates and things on how to, on, on CRF purchases, you know, several months ago. And now they're coming out with the rules of how they can be spent. And for you curriculum folks out there or um, superintendents, assistant superintendents, you know what I'm talking about. Like you find out 
after you've spent a lot of CRF funds on getting like technology or subscriptions to things that you might not normally get before that are going to help you and your school out to, you know, ma manage this crazy, ridiculous, abnormal year that we're in then to find out, oh, you can only expend those funds through December 30th. Well, wait, what? We already signed a contract for a year. Wait, what? And now we're doing a lot of scrambling. I believe there was a quote from the movie The Wedding Singer, something like this is information that would have been useful yesterday. But I digress. I know we're all we're all figuring this out along the way. I know that this are, there's a lot of, we need to just be flexible and patient and understanding and empathetic and I'm there, but it's also incredibly frustrating. Anyway, here are the three criteria uh, that locally budgeted bus purchase may include. One, that the SAU applied for state funding for the bus purchase through the department's transportation subteam. All right, so you've already made the application. Two, the SAU did not receive annual state funding for the bus purchase. And three, the SAU passed the fiscal year 2021 or 21 school budget after March 28th. So did you budget for it? Did you, did you ask for it, ask for the funds? Did you not get the funds? And was your budget passed? Then you can use it. If not, well, if you're just saying that things like, well, you know what? We kind of just want a bus because we need extra buses and we need extra things like that. You, I, I don't know where that stands. I don't know where that's going to lead. I don't know what's going to happen with that. But it's important to know that they, these are now the rules that one, you have to have uh, budgeted for the punches, uh, budgeted for the school bus, applied for it, um, been denied or whatnot. Or if a school, uh, say you budgeted for a school bus purchase to be paid for locally, and that was, um, that budget was passed after March 28th, 2020. So there's a little bit of, there's some wrinkles to it. Um, I highly suggest if you are in a district looking to purchase the buses through using CRF funds, make sure that those check marks are bulleted. Again, that um, came out on October the 7th, 2020, in, an, uh, in a priority notice update regarding Governor's Executive Order 14 and CRF funds for bus purchases. You can find those on the DOE website. Next, um, two more things to do a quick update on. Um, for those of you who may know or may not know, MLTI is kind of in this thing called a bridge year right now, or a gap year, whatever you want to call it, um, in that we're trying to figure out to, to recreate MLTI, to redesign it for the next level. There's been an advisory board that's been meeting over the last year, full disclosure. I've been on that advisory board um, to give my two cents, to give my thoughts as a, as both as a curriculum leader and also as a member of the main uh, Computer Science Teacher Association. Um, and so there have been some changes. There have been some, some, uh, some ideas and some things that are, that are, that they're looking at it. So for device purchases, they're looking at still maintaining a one-to-one -one at seventh and eighth grade with additional, with additional grades as funding allows. Um, pro in year one, they're still going to go with the seventh and eighth grade as we've always done year two, um, per student allocation for up to two additional consecutive grades and educator allocation as funding allows. So they're trying to make it a little bit more flexible for districts and to start planning out if you want to continue with the grade seven and eight for the MLT devi MLTI devices, or if you wanted to go to a different um, grade level with them. So this could have a budgetary impact. This could also have impact um, potentially on schools or districts. I don't know if there are any districts out there that are you know, only K-5. 
there's there will be state level technical support um, software purchases they'll be talking about opportunities for the purchasing of uh, teaching and learning software uh, software at a classroom level there's the there, there are some differences to to this plan than there have been in, in the uh, previously professional learning sessions held by local folks um, re uh, regionally um, and also there's some discussion of trying to um, have significant numbers of um, regional folks to provide professional learning. So um, the MLTI updated program, our updated uh, initiative is, the plan is basically out there. You can go and find it. I'll try to find a link and put it onto our um, resources or what are they called, social media links, et cetera. But there, there is some, part, a, lot, a huge part of the conversation that, that dominated, in my opinion, the conversation of the MLTI advisory board was to make sure that it was it was focused on devices, but it was also focused on the learning and making sure that we make that we are figuring out ways to not just say that MLTI is only about devices, but it's about actually taking the devices and making those devices into a leverage point for to support and improve and to deepen the level of learning that happens in the classroom and in the schools. So how might we do that? And how might MLTI be a major part of that, of that leverage? So the, the two, that, that's still coming around. That's gonna be a uh, big discussion over the course of the next few months, especially when we get back into the legislature, when that starts rolling around in January, February-ish, once this election is finally over. Uh, finally, um, for today, and thank you very much for sticking with me here. So I know this is, I know all page turner stuff. Um, the Moose platform, the main online opportunities for sustained education. Um, the, the first wave of it has been released and it's out there for people to look at. Um, they are these online modules that are project-based that are designed bought with, designed, uh, based on the main learning results and standards. And there are specific standards um, and targets that are laid out within them. One of the expectations for this project was that each project module had to have uh, be interdisciplinary, have at least two, if not three different content areas that they can that, that integrate. The idea here was to not I've heard people say things like this is to replace teachers and there's some conspiracy theories out there and it couldn't be further from the truth because nothing can replace a teacher. The teachers are one of the, are, are, are the most effective ways of helping to improve learning in a, in, in a school. They, you, you can't deny that. They're essential. So there's no way, this is not replacing them. What this is doing, it's providing a supplement a supplementary resource for for teachers for parents for kids in this distance slash remote slash hybrid environment i mean one of the things that is very clear and in is is made very clear in that book uh, the distance learning playbook by uh fisher fry and, and hattie which i know a lot of districts are out there looking at and a lot of uh, administrators are, are reading and making sure that our systems are created the most important chapter, in my opinion, in that book is engaging tasks, because engaging tasks bridges that is that middle part of the Venn diagram between uh, effective conditions for learning and the digital learning best practices. Engaging tasks is in both. 
you could argue that others are, but I would, I would, I would argue that making sure that if the, if the tasks themselves that you're doing are not engaging, an effective condition, you're not gonna be creating an effective condition for learning because it's, if it's not engaging, the kids are turning off. They're going away. They're gonna do their own thing, especially in a remote situation. And for best practices, if it's not engaging, how are you making sure that you're getting the uh, real depth of learning that we should be getting, we should be striving to get? What the Moose platform is intended to do is to create these project-based modules for this level of engagement, to deepen the level of engagement in an integrated way and to provide help for, for teachers, for districts, for schools who've you know, dabbled in project-based learning, who've looked at it, who've been interested in it, who don't know what to do. Um, but to say to uh, the students and the families and the teachers, hey, here's some, just some ideas. What's nice about them is that, yes, you can follow them directly and explicitly, but you can also adjust them, change them as you need to. Because what they are is, yes, they're a module, but who is going to be overseeing it? And it's going to be you. It's going to be the teacher. It's going to be the parent or the administrator. So you decide how it is, quote unquote, credit worthy or how you get credit for it or or how it ends, you can adjust it. It's a starting point. It can be done exactly as it is, sure, but it doesn't have to be. It's a, it's, it's, it's a means of inspiration to help our educators navigate through this incredibly challenging time of trying to find resources, good resources, that we can help our kids at home, our remote learning kids, stay engaged doing just menial uh, compliance-based tasks might not work for, let me change that, will not work for the majority of kids. Some kids will be fine with it, but it won't work for the majority of them. So that's where uh, projects like the Moose Project uh, through DOE has been so not only innovative, but in my opinion, very welcome because it, gives me as a curriculum leader an opportunity to say, hey, let's look at some project-based opportunities for these kids. You know, here are some things that are already aligned to standards, that are based on the standards, that are written with them in mind, backwards planned effectively. And we can take these go and, and help our learners do something meaningful with an end product at the end and not just, you know, giving a PowerPoint presentation on the, the War of 1812 or whatever it is. So I'm not saying the War of 1812 isn't important, but I'm also saying perhaps we can teach them to do something with their knowledge beyond just having it, which is the entire point of project-based learning. I also want to say very quickly about the Moose program that the first uh, level of modules are up and running on the uh, DOE website. Uh, you go find that on the innovation page, easy way to find it there. Um, and the DOE is also um, leading the second round of uh, Moose module creation. So probably by the end of this calendar year or the beginning of the next calendar year, uh, there will be even more modules. I don't know what happens after that. I don't know if they're going to go for a third round or not, but um, the second round is underway, and I know it's going to be wrapping up pretty, pretty soon, as a matter of fact. These modules were all created by main educators, teachers, administrators, et cetera. They're created by us it's not some someone else from from who doesn't understand the main landscape 
coming in and saying that this is, this is these are project-based units you can use. These are created by Maine educators with an understanding of the landscape. And I know how important that is to many Maine educators. So that's it for today. Uh, COVID-19 toolkit, uh, school meal flexibilities, hooray, everyone gets food. Executive for Order 14 updating us on the masks and uh, uh, mass grouping rules. Uh, bus orders, I don't know if I said that. MLTI 2.0 and the Moose platform. So thank you for listening to this. If you want to connect with us and if you want to uh, share us out, again, thank you for listening. You can find us on Twitter at um, Maine Ed Matters, facebook.com slash Maine Education Matters. Uh, you can also follow me and find me. I'm at Druette Card on Twitter. Um, you can try to find me on Facebook, but I really kind of keep that locked down to just a few people mostly. Um, but thanks so much for listening. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Oh, let me say one other thing before before we go here, um, because I want to make sure that this is this is very well understood, and that we here at the Maine Education Matters uh, headquarters, from the the topmost uh, floor and penthouse offices down to the basement, we one hundred percent and fully condemn white supremacy. And I just want to make sure that it's, 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 it's known that that's not that hard to say. But we fully condemn it. And it ain't that hard to say. Thanks so much for listening, folks. Take care of yourselves. And uh, see you soon. Bye.